This is Back to Excited with your host, Arvind, and Acting the Fool from Pension Plan Puppets. Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 113. My name is Arvind, joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. Um, so this is a, a bit of a weird feeling to this podcast, because we, we were all set to do this really exuberant, happy podcast, because the Leafs just kicked the shit out of the Columbus Blue Jackets and tied their series up at 1-1. But with about two minutes left, Jake Musson got hurt and was stretchered off, and you know, that tends to be a bit serious. So, you know, we're recording this, as I said, basically right after the game. We don't know anything about Muzzin at this point. Um, and it puts a damper on on what was otherwise one of the least best performances of the year. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty unfortunate. Obviously, the, the number one priority is hoping that Jake Muzzin is okay. Um, I guess we can talk about that a little bit later in the podcast if we want and uh we'll just discuss that because there was a whole game in front of it um that seems of secondary importance right now obviously but it is sort of what we're here to discuss and it's you know (laughs) it feels sort of again secondary to point it out now but that was one of the best games the Leafs have played all year it was almost everything that game one was not it was everything that we hoped that the Leafs would do in a series against the Columbus Blue Jackets. I think they were the better team wire to wire. And that was really impressive. Uh, You know, it's easy once you do break through and get that first goal, as the Leafs did. And Columbus had to open up and chase the game a little bit. And I think I saw more chances, although the Leafs had chances really the whole game, which is kind of incredible. And so we had a a 3-0 win at the end of it with a, um, an empty netter from Morgan Riley to go with two actual goals from Austin Matthews and John Tavares. And yeah, it was really well played. Uh, the Leafs seemed better in almost every respect. Uh, they did start to beat Columbus with passes, I noticed. Um, I don't want to jump to conclusions about they were just tenacious and they were, you know, quicker on pucks. They looked like it, though. I think they... I think they got confident that they could win this one, especially once they scored, and lo and behold, they did. Nothing succeeds like success. So that was all very positive to me. Uh, What did you see? Yeah, a lot of the same. I mean, I think they were just really smart, I thought, um, in terms of how they decided to break down Columbus. There There were times where Columbus was really, really aggressive, and... The Leafs didn't get baited into making mistakes when that happened. And sometimes, you know, once or twice, Columbus forced turnovers, but certainly certainly less than in game one. And in a lot of cases, the Leafs would just kind of circle back, wait for them to fly by, and then progress, right? And then mm-hmm. in the instances where Columbus wasn't completely, uh, uh, wasn't as aggressive, the Leafs used their speed and used all of the ice to really stretch them out, both vertically and, and laterally. So I think there was a really good job of kind of mixing their strategies and reacting to that. And then once they were in the offensive zone, yeah, they actually managed to kind of penetrate the Blue Jackets bubble to some extent. Um, mm-hmm. And part of that, part of that, I'm okay chalking up to a bit of just luck and variance, 
right? So sometimes you just get bounces that, that go your way. Uh, pucks find, you know, holes and, and they don't hit sticks, things like that. Part of it you can chalk up to maybe Columbus not being as sharp, but it, it also seems like the Leafs did some stuff to, to make that happen, right? They're, they're, um, to, to the extent that you could credit kind of tenaciousness, or sorry, tenacity, that, that's the actual word I'm looking for, um, <laughs> To the extent that you can credit tenacity for their success, it, it was that they seemed to win a lot more board battles. Hyman and Mikheyev uh, forced turnovers, made nice passes to their you know more skilled line mates to get the the puck in good positions. It was it was really kind of an all around overall team performance that was much better than we expected. And it, it's just hockey's a weird game. <laughs> like the, <Yeah. laughs> these same teams played two days ago in the same building in basically the same situations with the exact same rosters and it's two wildly different games and i i almost don't understand how that can happen right it's mm-hmm. like well what what changed and i guess to some extent it's just you know a few players on on one team play a little bit better and a few players on another team play a little bit worse and, and maybe that's all that it is could be yeah it, you know it's it's remarkable the level of swing that you can see but I think it is worth emphasizing, this is going to be reactive. The post-pod first game was reactive. The pod after the next game will be reactive because that's the nature of what we've chosen to do here. But that is reflective also of the actual quality of the performance on the ice. The Leafs were a much better team, and we talked about their ability to impose their skill on the game. They did that today. And that was much more impressive. Um Something that I did notice, and this may just be my my wonky eye test, but I noticed when the Leafs had the puck behind the net, behind the goal line, in game one, there seemed to be a lot of just, you know, pushing it around the boards up to the wing and not really ever penetrating in a major way, with the notable exception of Nylander's pass out to Matthews in the slot, which was their best chance the whole night. In this game, I saw more working from behind the goal line into the slot, into a high danger area, which is a combination of one, you know, you're getting the space to do that. And two, there's someone there to pass to, you know, someone is actually kind of penetrating the Columbus box a little bit. And Ilya Mikhaev did this notably. So that was very positive. Um, Yeah. Like it, it was hard not to feel kind of despairing after game one. And so I don't want to swing too hard in the other direction. But this was the game that the Leafs wanted to play. Game one was the game Columbus wanted to play, and they won it. And this was Toronto's game. And I think that both the Leafs and Sheldon Keefe deserve some credit for coming out much better than they did in the first game. That was a really encouraging improvement to see. Yeah, it absolutely was. Um, This was also a game that was... Um, way, way, way more tightly called than game one. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a, a hit by Kyle Clifford in the first period that I, I'll be honest, I thought was a charge, and I said as much online, and uh, nobody wanted to hear it from me. <laughs> but They hated him I, because I, he spoke the truth. <laughs> That's what I'm telling myself. I thought he left his feet. Uh, other people looked at it and they say he only went up after the contact was made, they think. So they think he was kind of bouncing off. I think you could have called it for a charging penalty. I'm not saying I think Clifford should have been suspended or anything, but whatever. 
But that said, there were a lot of penalties called both ways, and there were a couple of penalties on the Leafs late that I found bordering on incomprehensible. Like Kasperi Kapanen got called for one of the softest slashing calls I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what the thought process was there. I, I know Cappy is uh, rather vocal with the referees, which probably isn't super endearing to the people in Striped. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I don't know. Anyway, it was certainly not the conventional playoff hockey in that sense where you kind of expect the whistles to be swallowed as it goes along and they just let them play. So yeah, make of that what you will. Um, by and large, you, you know, I'm pretty much fine with it. We've talked about how we think maybe uh, it's an advantage to Toronto in some circumstances to have a more tightly called game because they can supposedly employ a power play advantage. Um, I don't know that we saw too much of that this time. But, um, yeah, I think the you know, the Jackets penalty kill is still pretty effective. The Leafs penalty kill was also very good against... Uh, a not super potent power play. Yeah, I mean, the Leafs power play, their first few power plays, I think, were actually pretty good. Um, mm. The last few were less so. I guess the last one in particular was was pretty poor. Uh, but, yeah, the you know, the, it was really frustrating until Matthews' goal, right? Because this was all setting up for the Leafs play their game and get goalied. Because Corpusalo was, was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. He, like, he was outstanding. For the first half of the game, he looked like he had horseshoes up his ass. Like, it was just like trying to shoot on a wizard. And, um, you know, the, like, the Leafs eventually beat him on a, a terrific tip play and then a breakaway from John Tavares. And, you know, I think John Tavares can slip into being underappreciated at times. He's, he's pretty good, though. I think he's pretty good. And he had a frankly dominant individual game i thought where the puck just wasn't going in for him most of the night but he could have had three goals yeah he you know i mean he had one of those games where he was an absolute shot monster right this was this is what you pay john Tavares for to be a, yeah, a game-changing offensive threat and, and and that's what he was he was the least best player tonight um and and matthews mm-hmm. of course was very good too and i think i mean that first goal just mattered so much maybe just in the psyche of a, of a fan but even to the players i can imagine you know after almost five periods of getting shut out by a guy yeah to just put one past him makes your life a whole lot easier and it's worth mentioning that columbus is really a different team when they have to attack yeah that was really noticeable and again it, it can sound like you're reading psychology into the behavior of the players but they really just change because they have to uh, once they're down a goal and I made a joke about how they sometimes look like they're trying to protect a 0-0 lead but that's how they play they will counterattack you but that's about it they don't press offensively if they don't have to when they're down they have to and suddenly we saw the Leafs getting rush chances back the other way uh, most notably again Tavares streamed off on a breakaway and scored that Tavares goal was also it was preceded by basically all five um blue jacket skaters being below the dots and Wierenski was basically all alone in front and I just kind of bobbled the puck I guess 
And, you know, that's the kind of thing that a playoff game can swing on. If he gets a handle and puts it top shelf, it's 1-1 instead of 2 nothing. And uh, I will embrace that most dated of hockey cliches about uh, save at one end or miss at one end and goal at the other. But, yeah, I, I don't see how you can be anything but encouraged by the behavior of most of the forwards tonight. I really think that the top three lines were all exceptional. They all won their matchups pretty well. They all came out positive in shots. Uh, yeah, really a lot to feel good about there. Even the fourth line, um, they earned some ice time, actually, because they were, you know, doing well, and especially once they had the lead. And, you know, really no one on Columbus was threatening too much offensively. So you can play mm-hmm. the fourth line. You can save a bit of miles on, on, on your other guys. And, you know, the fourth line is fine when you need to shut things down. Right? Especially against a team that doesn't have elite offensive talent like Columbus. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this series is going to go at least four games and maybe more. And so, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm by and large really encouraged by what we saw tonight. If the Leafs can play like this, I certainly like their chances. It's wide open. And again, you know, we said after game one, you can't assume every game will be like that. Unfortunately, we can't assume that the Leafs will play every game as well as they did in Game 2 either, or that Columbus will be as vulnerable as they kind of seem to be. Um, I did expect the Leafs to kind of come out loaded for bear to begin with. You know, after you've had some time to ruminate on a loss, there's a natural impulse to come out charging and try and fix it. And they did that, but it didn't fade much. And uh, that makes it look like there was... Uh, so ta- some tactical adjustment going on, uh, some patience, and some bounces. Um, Freddie Anderson was outstanding. It has been really encouraging to see. Uh, I'm not saying that the Leafs were bad defensively, and again, they're not facing the, uh, you know, the Eastern Conference All-Stars or anything here, but when he had to make big saves, he made them. And uh, the shutout is certainly well-earned in his column. Yeah, it's. Um... Uh, yeah. Sorry, additional good news. Uh, Justin Cuthbert reported that Tavares says regarding Muzzin that all signs are very positive. Um, yeah, and uh, God, I hope he's right. That would be the best possible news. Right, yeah. Not, not. Ju- I mean, from a personal perspective, obviously. Um, it, it's hard. You know, we were talking on air, or off air, rather, just before, and, and, and I mentioned that, like, when a guy gets stretched off, you, you find it hard to say, okay, I hope he can come back for the next game. Like, the natural instinct is, okay, I hope his career isn't over, right? Like, being stretched off is almost it's never a good thing. serious, yeah. Yeah, right? Um, anything to do with, with necks, with spines, with nerves, like, man, the human body is enduringly resilient at times and incredibly fragile at others. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, it can, it's really, really scary. Um, but, I mean, from a hockey perspective, Jake Muzzin is the Leafs' only good defenseman. Yeah, really? like defensively, he's the guy. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm being went... unkind to Morgan Riley there, who's also a very good defenseman, but in a quite different way. But, you know, Jake Muzzin is, to the extent that Hall and Muzzin is a even passably workable shutdown pairing for a, a team that sees itself as, you know, wanting to win a playoff series, it's because of Muzzin, not Hall. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you don't have much doubt as to who's Batman and who's Robin in this scenario. And so, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it, it was tough to watch. You know, it was a, a long delay while they got him onto the stretcher. Um, a lot of pretty somber faces all around the ice. 
I guess we should talk about what led to it. It was a Pierre-Luc Dubois cross-check on Muzzin that kind of sent him sideways into the boards, and then he appeared to hit Oliver Bjorkstrand in the back of the leg. Uh, you know, I, I don't know exactly where the contact came that has caused the issue. It could have been kind of at any point in that sequence. Yeah, there was like five different impacts. You could be like, okay, that could have been it. Yeah, and you know, seeing him down... He was kind of moving his legs and stretching his fingers, opening and closing his fists, that sort of thing. And so it wasn't immediately clear even what it was. But, you know, as the stretcher came out, it became apparent. It looks like it's uh, potentially a nerve thing. There is such a thing as a stinger where you happen to get hit in a way that sort of stings a nerve and you feel... Uh, a loss of sensation or an unpleasant tingling or warmth or whatever in your extremities. It's like, it's like hitting your funny bone to the nth degree. Yeah, exactly. It's a much more pronounced version of that feeling. Again, not a doctor here, but this is just what I know of it, what little I know of it. And so the hope is that's all it was, is a little temporary impact, which is quite unpleasant and quite scary, but there are no lingering issues from it. We don't know. We're hoping based on what Tavares is said, has said, excuse me, uh, that it's trending in that direction. We may not get the level of medical info to which we are kind of accustomed because of the rules in the bubble where the NHL, as we've mentioned in the past, has tried to help protect privacy on the COVID issue by not disclosing almost anything about player injuries beyond whether they are fit to play or not. And so I don't know how much we're going to find out. Obviously, the best case scenario is we find out Jake Muzzin is practicing and is getting normally and he looks like a million bucks. And that would be wonderful on many levels. Obviously, the first priority is Jake Muzzin, the guy. And, you know, by all accounts, he's a terrific person. He's extremely hard not to like, putting aside his extremely essential contributions to the Leafs defense. Yeah. yeah. Regarding the Dubois cross check, it's. I'm I'm of two minds of it in, in a sense because mm. I think it's an inarguably dangerous play. You're pushing a guy in the back towards boards and people, like you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see what could possibly go wrong there. At the same time, it's just one of those minor rule breaking events that happens. I would estimate hundreds of times in a hockey game right mm-hmm. and 95 99 of the time it amounts to nothing and this time it amounts to certainly what appeared at the time to be a rather serious injury and may still in fact turn out to be that um and yeah it's, it's like the, to me that's why refs need to be better at calling this stuff because the reason it's against the rules is because it's really really dangerous yeah, every now and then, uh, that dice is going to come up with a one, and someone's going to get badly hurt. And even if most of the time we're kind of inured to the regular cross-checking, I think there's a real question about what the NHL has let go here. I think that also applies to the charging rules, for yes. what it's worth, which I think have been kind of left pretty relaxed and allowed certain things to happen. Um, again, you know, a lot of Leafs fans are going to want... Pure Luke Dubois' head on a platter, and I get the impulse. Look, Jake Muzzin is viewed very fondly by 
this whole fan base, including us, for very good reason, and that was really hard to watch. And I certainly understand the reaction to say, you know, somebody knocked that guy's teeth out. At the same time, do I think that that play was way out of the the realm of what happens in playoff hockey? It wasn't. It ended badly. The result was horrifying and not common. But the play itself was the kind of thing that tends to go on. And so if we're going to pursue it, I think the NHL has a question of, okay, we got to reconsider how we call these things. And unfortunately, sometimes it takes a scary moment to get any kind of change to happen. You know, uh, I think of Cook Savard as the extreme example with head hits. And I think that that was the beginning of those being viewed differently. But zooming back in again, you know, the, the first hope is that Muzzin is A-OK as soon as possible. And I think the reality is Dubois is going to be playing next game. Oh, yeah. So, they're not even going to look at the suspension. Not even close. No, I don't think so. And so, you know, I, I think people will want Kyle Clifford to go and uh, challenge him to a boxing match. And, you know, okay, fair enough. But, uh, you know, I have to admit once the mist clears and I, I can try and zoom out a bit, I do think that, like, this is the kind of play that does happen. And the problem is that it's allowed. Yeah. As and much it, as anything. It, it, it's like this wasn't a I, I i don't see what clifford doing anything is going to solve i don't think it'll really dissuade columbus from playing on the physical edge because that's their entire game right like no i mean it, it would be to make you know make people feel better and yeah. make the team be fired up a little bit and, and you know that in of itself is a health risk to both clifford and dubois if like he if he if he fights or if you know through escalation we we saw in game two last year, how escalation can really get out of hand and potentially cause injuries, mm-hmm. right? And potentially cause for, for discipline too. Um, so yeah, I think I don't expect we'll see anything of the sort, and I don't particularly want to see anything of the sort, just because I'm not really sure what it'll solve. As you know, obviously there's a caveman part of you that, and when you see, you know your brother go down like that the way the Leafs do you 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 want to punch someone in the face and you know make them feel bad too Mm -hmm. I think the fact that this happened at the end of the game and both teams will have you know 48 hours to to cool down and you know it won't be so fresh and hopefully if Muzzin's okay that will reduce this further I, I don't think anything will happen yeah maybe not and I mean the Leafs as a group are not really known for their fighting again with the exception of Clifford and uh, you know Zach Hyman's done a few fights but he's not really known for it uh, yeah you know it's uh, it's really too bad on several levels because again that was almost perfect for 58 minutes that was about how I would have drawn it up I mean if you'd let me draw it up I wouldn't have made Eunice Corpusalo into a god in net for half the game but that was exactly how the Leafs want to play, and it's how they're going to have to continue to play if they're going to win this series. There was a lot that was encouraging there. And so, yeah, beyond that, um, I, I, you know, obviously some of the, the glory is drained from it by our concern for our best 
defensive defenseman. But, yeah. I mean, you can take a lot of positive signs from this uh, in terms of just the actual caliber of play that we put on. Uh, it, it looks like the adjustments that Keith has made have paid out and power to him. Yeah, I guess um, we didn't we didn't even yeah. mention that. Uh, I guess the most obvious change was that Marner and Matthews were reunited mm-hmm. and Neander and Tavares were reunited. And to be honest, it's hard, it's hard to say whether like this was the catalyst for everything. I, I, I don't think it was. But... I, I, I mean, I think if they did everything... If they came in with this game plan and they played this way with the lines as Matthews, Nylander, Marta Tavares, I think it would have been about the same. Yeah. But it, if, you know, it contributed to a working strategy, or at least it occurred at the same time as one. So, you know what? Fine. Maybe it helped a lot. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I expect <laughs> we'll see this it. going forward. It was a little weird to me that they went away from it because, you know, it was working quite well in the regular season, to be honest, this, this mm-hmm. setup. And... You know, we said it before, and we'll say it again. Any 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 permutation of those players is fine by us, more or less. Yeah, yeah. There's no wrong answer there. And if this makes Marner and Matthews happy, and it makes them feel fulfilled, or whatever it is, uh, that's fine. That's all fine by me. And uh, yeah, it, it did work. I I don't know. A- am I judging Marner too harshly when I say I didn't think he quite looked like himself? Because statistically, he had a really strong game. And to be clear, I don't think he was bad by any means. I guess I just... I don't know. Maybe I expected him to make something magical happen on the power play. Or what have you. Well, I think think Marner's a player who's always going to look meh. Unless he's on the, uh, you know, business end of a goal four. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Is, you know, just... He's just kind of like that. You know, you don't notice him until suddenly he's popping up and he's dominant. And that's fine, too. Um, again, it's it's nitpicking to kind of find real objections here. I just... I see a lot of criticism going back and forth. I think Marner has uh, annoyed a certain faction of the fan base with his salary demands and with a little bit of egotism. Although, I mean... I think a lot of star athletes are pretty egotistical. It kind of goes with the territory. Uh, and so there's a bit of a debate as to how much he's contributing or really earning his money and stuff like that. And I hope it, it's not, you know, leading me astray here. Uh, again, at, at a certain point, it's like if you're getting three quarters of the shots while you're on the ice, it's probably pretty good. Yeah, you're not doing so, too much wrong. <laughs> so the thing is, yeah, I think it's we'd be insane to expect this game again. Yeah, well, this is the thing, is that from a statistical perspective, this was a blowout. Like, I know 2 nothing plus an empty netter is not one on the scoreboard. But, like, if you're getting 66% of the expected goals, and, you know, 63% of the shots and stuff like that, you're dominant. That's a huge performance against a good defensive team, no less. And, you know, I think Columbus still slowed the game down. It was still, it wasn't like, you know, the Leafs were going up against Chicago's defense or anything like that, but they broke through. And, and so this this was best case scenario for the most part in terms of how the play went for Toronto. Like, this is about as good as we can hope that they're going to do against a good team. Yeah, and I mean, I think the other thing is Columbus probably just wasn't as good as they normally are, right? They're, I think 
there were times where the Leafs would just move somewhere. I'm like, wow, there's, there's a lot of space there. And you mm-hmm. don't normally see that against Columbus. So I wonder if maybe they were a little less disciplined. Um, they played two really tight games, right? Their exhibition game against Boston and then game one against us. And maybe, you know, some of that effort and focus waned to some extent. I don't know, mm-hmm. but there's a couple things that worry me for, for game three. Um, and one of them is is that it's an 8 p.m. start for game three. Yeah, I, I mean, this is the thing, is when the game, again, except for the injury in the last two minutes, uh, goes so well for Toronto in most respects, you would like every game to just be exactly the same as that. Means, you know, I want them to play every game going forward at 4 p.m. on a Tuesday. And so the there is the concern about ice. And the ice, I don't think, was great today, but it seemed to be less problematic. And again... I think the Leafs, as the more skilled team, probably are hurt a little bit more with bad ice versus Columbus. And so I don't know if this made a difference. Um, And if so, how significant it was. It probably wasn't the major part of the story, but it's something to think about. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess we'll see, right? This is... There's a lot undetermined. We don't know if Muzzin will play game three obviously i imagine we won't know that until tomorrow at the earliest no um you know what uh i've just seen something that says uh muslim's been taken to a local hospital mm-hmm. hopefully that's precautionary but yeah I, I mean i guess we'll see what's going on there and we don't know the circumstances for readmission to the bubble uh we'll have to see how that develops um, again, you know, the first priority is on him and where he's going to be at. And, you know, hopefully he's okay. Uh, I guess the Leafs just kind of have to to zero in and focus on what they're going to do to get ready for Game 3. And it's mostly to keep doing what they're doing. Yeah. So if if Muzzin can't go for Game 3, that probably means Martin Marinson comes in. Yeah. And I mean, the alternative is Rasmus Sandin, and I mean, you know, he's the great hope. He's well-liked. The truth is, is that he was at the level of a pretty good third-pair defenseman this year. And Marincin is well-known to Sheldon Keith, very well-known from the AHL. Uh, he's more experienced, and he kills penalties. And yeah. that may end up being the size of it. That, that's why I think it's going to be Marinson. Um, I know the one guy who I can trust when the forecheck is bearing down on him is Martin Marinson. Oh, man. I'm scared, man. <laughs> this is not... Oh, and, you know, we're well on the record of half-ironically liking Martin Marinson. But, like, he's a... He's a seventh defenseman who yeah, can be okay. Th- th- like, but... he, he's... I would say he is in the upper third of seventh defenseman in the league. <laughs> like, easily. Can we get that on a plaque for him? Yeah. He, <laughs> he honestly might be the best seventh defenseman in the league. Like you know what? Because, because, because he does. Because he's he's yeah. he's a third pairing guy. Like that you know he I think he is one of the the um, you know 180 best defensemen in the world. I, I I genuinely think that he's probably like you know 165 or something. Yeah, but you know, he I'm fine with him as a 7th defenseman because he's what you want a 7th defenseman to be. He can come in, he will not be amazing, 
but he'll do as well as you can reasonably hope anyone who's stepping in who is not already in your lineup to to do. So, yeah, it's... I, I, I don't really know. I, I, obviously, I'd rather have Jake Musson, but... Yeah, um, I, I should add... Uh, I, I apologize for the slightly murky breaking news character of this podcast. It's just the nature of the fact that we're recording immediately post-game and there's a lot of stuff coming through on Twitter. James Myrtle has just tweeted told that Muzzin may have been able to stay in bubble and travel to hospital, so hopefully a quick recovery. Um, that sounds encouraging, although the logistics of it I'm not clear on. But, yeah, again, hope for, hope for the best. Um, turning back to the what-if, if he's not ready to go next game. The thing about Martin Marinson is that the good and the bad with him are so discreet because he's quite good at certain things in terms of denying zone entries, in terms of getting in front of shots, in terms of having a long stick that can cover a lot of the defensive zone. And then when he has the puck, um, I guess it's a bit like watching Edward Scissorhands try to defuse a bomb. You know, it's like technically he has the equipment to do it, but he's probably just going to cut all the wires and explode himself. And so... Yeah, it's it's going to be a bit of a white-knuckle experience if he gets into a game, but I would bet on that player probably being the guy. Yeah. I, I think this is probably not the series for Sandin. Sandin. I keep screwing up that name. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he has some things to recommend him, and, you know, he's he's pretty calm under pressure. He looks, you know, wise beyond his years in that respect. Um, and he's capable of making a long stretch pass. And, uh, you know, I, all of those are positive things. It's just when you're throwing him at that age into this series, into what is, you know, a pretty intense, um, unforgiving, really, you know, like high-end professional playoff series against a team that is going to hound him on the forecheck. It's a bit like you're really throwing a, throwing him in on hard mode. And I'm not saying he won't be able to do that soon. He may be able to do that now. But I'm not sure that Sheldon Keefe is going to count on him as the first option to do that when there's one uh, injury. Yeah. So, obviously it goes without saying, but Game 3 is vitally important. Every, every game in a five-game series is vitally important. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's going to be very, very nerve-wracking. Uh, especially because similar similar to how you could kind of expect the Leafs to come out like a house on fire, you can expect Columbus to do the same in Game 3. Yeah, like uh, John Tortorella's quote post-game was the Leafs were good and we sucked. And that's um, not inaccurate. And I don't think that it's going to be all hunky-dory in the Columbus dressing room until they go out and they play better. They're going to... They'll know that they can be better than this and they'll want to be. And so you have to expect that. You just have to be prepared that sometimes you're going to face their A game. And, you know, that that is what it is. Yep, so, pretty much. Yes. Sorry, that was yeah, a very, very um, long silence. I, I think I think we've, we've kind of run out of things to say about this game. Because, I mean, it yeah. is... In, in a way, this game is... There's less to talk about than with the game like game one um mm-hmm. 
because with game one, well, first off, it was the first ho- real hockey game we'd, we'd seen in a while. But with game one, you know, it, it brings up all sorts of questions about what the Leafs are, right? And mm-hmm. how they struggled to really match the, or how, how they struggled to exist in the same type of game that Columbus likes to play and how they were forced into playing that game. Here, it wasn't a complete departure from the Columbus style of game. It was, you know, still not incredibly high event by chances, but certainly much more so than the first game. And the Leafs did a good job of, you know, not letting Columbus completely dictate the flow of the matchup. Um, And that's good, but it's like the negative is always more kind of meaningful in this case than the positive because now they have to do it again, right? They have to keep doing this. Yeah, I mean, you got to do it twice more and then... I mean, ideally 16 times after that, but yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the fact that they were able to kind of stretch out, the reality is, is that if Columbus is going to press up on you, if they are going to be rigid, the hope has to be to beat them with passing, to beat them by going long through the neutral zone, by, you know, putting the puck past guys, because a pass can move faster than a skater. And so you have to want to outmaneuver them and you have to do it and I was concerned after game one about the Leafs capacity to do that uh, on pretty bad ice because it seemed like they weren't connecting at the level that would be necessary to make that work today it was different you know today they were making enough of those passes that they were beating Columbus they were getting behind them not all the time you know the fortress doesn't totally collapse but you get through it. You get around it every now and then. And that was an encouraging thing. When we talk about the Leafs imposing their skill on the game, it should look like sometimes the Columbus structure has been beat and they have to scramble a bit to get back and they feel like they're a little bit out of position. I saw that a few times today and that was encouraging. Yep. And, I mean, all we can do is hope for uh, a couple more games like that. Minus the injury. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah, uh, who knows where we'll be. Uh, recording two podcasts in like 36 hours is really, <laughs> it really shows you how much can change in the playoffs because uh, it's an entirely different perspective. And who knows where we'll be at after the game on Thursday night. But yeah. yeah. What I'm glad for is that I can watch the other games of hockey now. Because in between mm. us losing game one and this game, I, I just didn't watch any of the other games of hockey because I was, like, just annoyed at the sport. Yeah, no, you don't want to watch hockey ever again after a game like that. Right, and then, and and then, then you I, know, it comes I, back and you're like, you know what, actually, it's good. Yeah, yeah. right. It's like, oh, can we play game three now? Like, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I was. I feel like we were kind of rolling there, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's, it's going to be... So much, so much changes, right? It make, the playoffs makes fools of all of us because you, you have almost no choice but to be reactive or otherwise you say nothing at all. Right, and that's the thing is in some sort of statistical perspective, you would be like, oh, we need a sample size that's bigger than one to two games, but you don't get one. And if your team loses, you can be out long before you have any evidence to make firm assertions. You know, Tampa Bay last year can tell you all about that. They got uh, clobbered in short order. So, yeah, uh, we're going to be probably a little bit more emotional and reactive than we are accustomed to being. 
because that's the nature of the playoffs. But uh, hopefully, notwithstanding these, the, the poll over this one, you all enjoy these podcasts and we'll try and keep them going. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so on that note, we'll, we'll conclude here. Thank you all for listening. You can find all of mine and Fuleman's work at pensionplanpuppets.com and you can follow us on Twitter at RV and We will see you uh, after game three.